0: Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. This is God's word. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. This is God's word. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us that benefits us. We ask that you would give us eyes that we might see, ears that we might hear, and hearts that we might obey your word. Lord, if you will not help us to understand and apply this word, we will not be able to do it. So we are dependent upon you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen, amen. This text has a temporal nature to it, meaning timing is what is significant. Notice the words that are used, when, now. These are timing words. This is a text about timing. Have you ever, uh, or have you learned to trust God's timing? Or do you question God's timing? Do you trust God's timing or do you question God's timing? Have you ever asked God, why now? Or when, God, questioning God's timing. Have you waited for God until you felt like you could wait no longer? Have you prayed for something and it seems like God's answer came right at the last minute, forcing you to wait. The timing here at the end of chapter 5 is important because it immediately precedes the battle of Jericho in chapter 6. It is a moment now of decision. Fight or flight. Here is Joshua, God's promised leader with the people who have now passed through the Jordan into the promised land. And they are passing on to fight, to take what God has given them as their inheritance. There is no turning back. What is the song that we all know and sing? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. What's the rest of it? No turning back. No turning back. And there was no turning back for this people. Joshua chapter 4 verse 18 says this, when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The same miracle that brought God's people into the land is the same miracle that kept them in that land, in God's promise. The God who parted the waters of the Jordan also brought those waters back to overflowing as they had been before, so that what used to be a barrier returned to being a barrier, except now the barrier was behind them and not in front of them. People who struggle with addiction understand this. The addiction never really goes away. It just relocates. It's either in front of them or behind them, but it's still there. If you've ever been to some kind of a 12-step program, they all recognize this. When they introduce themselves at the meeting, they, it doesn't matter how long they've been sober. They identify themselves as an addict presently. They introduce themselves in this way because they recognize that their addiction is still there. It's just for some of them it's behind them and some it's in front of them. The barrier of the Jordan River was not removed, it was just relocated. So the people were now faced with a choice. Go forward with the Lord and face the new challenge of Jericho, or turn back and face the old challenge of the Jordan on their own. We can imagine the people looking behind them and seeing the overflowing banks of the waters of the Jordan, and then looking at those 12 stones that used to sit in the midst of those waters, but now form a memorial, a monument, dried out by the sun as a testimony to what God had done to deliver them. And remembering this, remembering that as God had delivered them through the Jordan, surely God can deliver them past Jericho too. Surely the Lord can relocate the stones that formed the walls of Jericho too. In this way, the people of faith had passed a point of no return. And that will happen as we journey in faith as well. Well, we will reach such a point where there is no turning back. I want you to hear this gospel proclamation. The same Savior who brought us into God's family, is the same Savior who keeps us in God's family. Jesus brings us past a point of no return. What Jesus has done is better. Jesus does not merely relocate our sin, but he removes it, declaring us right with God by his own blood, by making us born again as a new creation. And he brings us in as brothers and sisters into God's family, adopted as sons of God, daughters of God. This is one way in which Joshua is pointing us to Jesus over and over again. It's a recurring theme of God bringing his people out of Egypt and bringing them into his promises for them. Yet while living in light of this blessing, God's people in Joshua still face challenges. And the same is true of us. We will face challenges too. After all, what was it that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24? Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, that's following, right? let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If we think taking up a cross is easy, if we think denying self is easy, then we don't know what it means to follow after Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. When following Jesus, the easy way is the wrong way. The hard way is the right way. And this is a way that the Lord Tests our commitment to Him. It was easy for Peter to deny Jesus three times and to just run away. It's easy for us to give up and find an easier way forward. But Joshua chapter 5 gives us this assurance. Nevertheless, in spite of all these challenges, at the right time, the Lord came. Look with me at Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho. Now that location is also important. Not just the timing, but the location. He's by Jericho. So Israel is encamped at a place called Gilgal. And Gilgal is on the eastern edge of Jericho, where Israel had camped after they had passed through the waters of the Jordan. The name Gilgal in the Hebrew language is very similar to the word to roll. Because in Gilgal, the Lord rolled away the reproach or the disgrace of Egypt from the people. All this time, the wilderness wanderings, the 40 years from Egypt to the Jordan, the crossing of the Jordan into the land, and the people still bear with them a reproach, a disgrace from Egypt. No matter how much they had consecrated themselves, no matter how distant they are from their faithless fathers, they still carry a disgrace of Egypt among them that makes them unfit, not ready to receive their inheritance. The text is going to explain this for us. One illustration to think about, if you've ever minced cloves of garlic, you peel that garlic back, you start mincing those garlic, you realize that that garlic gets on your hands, and no matter how much you wash your hands, that stench of the garlic is still present for a while afterwards. Well, this is the same thing is true of the people. All this time had passed, they'd consecrate themselves, they're now in the land, and yet there's still this disgrace, this stench of Egypt. But God will now demonstrate that he can save not only from that which is outward, the droughts, the plagues, the impassable bodies of water, but God can remove what we cannot, that is our disgrace, our sin. And so this text is all about God and what he does. So let's pay attention and learn that God can make us holy without, and God can make us holy within. Look with me at Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west And all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. And this is a testimony yet again of the Lord going ahead of Israel and fighting for them on their behalf Just as the wax of a candle melts under the flame, as the word of God's wondrous works and his greatness went forth, it melted the hearts of the people of the land with fear. And the inhabitants of the land realize that they will not ultimately be fighting Israel, but they will be fighting Israel's God. As a pastor, I am endeavoring to lead our church to be God's people, God's way. Recognizing that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. And Jesus has given certain instructions concerning who his church is to be and what his church is to do and how his church is to do those things. And God's word influences the decisions that I make. I make a point to back up what I do with the scriptures. For this reason, when someone disagrees with something that I do as a pastor, my hope is that I can take comfort in knowing that their disagreement is ultimately not with me, but is with God and his word. The people feared Israel, but they feared Israel because Israel's God was fighting for them. The inhabitants of the land feared because they had heard the workings of Israel's God. Look at verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Notice the language here. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua. The timing is significant. God had already won the battles, but the people were not yet ready to fight them and inherit the land. Something needed to be accomplished in them first. So God commands that the sons of Israel be circumcised a second time, and Joshua obeys Verses 3 through 7 explain this for us. Look at God's word with me. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbreth Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children, whom he raised up in their place, that Joshua was circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Circumcision was a physical sign that marked the descendants of Abraham as being recipients of God's covenant. Circumcision was an outward mark that represented an inward work on the heart. It ultimately was a sign of faith. It was a sign of covenant membership. It was commanded in the law of Moses the wilderness generation disobeyed. And they did not keep this sign of circumcision in the way. They were faithless. And now the former generation is being contrasted with the present generation, their children. Notice that the former faithless generation had all been circumcised, yet their outward sign of circumcision did not guarantee their inheritance of God's promises. If you've tuned out now, tune back in. This is important. How many people outwardly profess faith in Christ, wear a cross necklace, perhaps they have a cross tattoo? How many people attend church services, have their name on a membership roll? How many serve on a committee of a church? Yet these things will not save you. You can do all of these things and still have a heart that is far from the Lord. You can do all of these outward things and still die in the wilderness, having never seen the land promised. Outward works do not save. God does his saving work upon the heart. What is it that Romans says? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. God brought the generation under Joshua into the promised land, even while they were not outwardly circumcised, but their hearts were they had proceeded on in faith. Outward demonstrations of faith can never replace the obedience of a heart of faith. Look with me at Joshua chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. It says, When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their place in the camp Until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Notice that word, today. The timing is significant. After the nation was circumcised, the reproach of Egypt was rolled away. And who rolled away the reproach of Egypt? God did this action was clearly ascribed to being an action of the Lord. While the people obeyed God's command, they were healing outwardly and they were being healed inwardly by God doing a work on their heart, removing that reproach from them. This circumcision was necessary for one more activity, Circumcision was required to partake of the Passover. We're told that in Exodus chapter 12 verses 48 and 49. And that's what comes next. Look at Joshua chapter 5 verses 10 through 12. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Notice the timing. The timing is significant. There on the plains of Jericho on the 14th day of the month in the evening, they kept the Passover. Psalm chapter 23, verses 5 and 6 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm anticip- is anticipated here in Joshua as the people keep the Passover meal there on the plains of Jericho and then begin to eat the produce of the land of Canaan from then on. Passover reenacts God's salvation, his salvation out of Egypt it reminds the people that the Lord is their savior and how he went about saving them. Immediately after the Passover is what's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And in celebrating this feast, they eat from the produce of the land of Canaan and the manna, the bread from heaven that sustained them in the desert ceased. It's no longer needed. God has made a better provision for his people. In the same way, Jesus is our better provision. He is the bread of life. John 6, 32 through 35, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This moment of the manna ceasing was needed to show the people that that would never permanently sustain them. God had a better way to do that, ultimately through Jesus. So having been circumcised and having kept the Passover, the people are now prepared outwardly and inwardly. And it was at this time, Joshua 5, 13 says, that Joshua was by Jericho, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword. In his hand. There is a mystery here, for Joshua does not know who this man before him is. This man obviously is a warrior, armed with a sword, and the sword is drawn. This man is ready for battle. Verse 13 says And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? or for our adversaries. Now this is a natural and human way of thinking. Joshua wants to know, whose side are you on? What category may I place you in? How shall I treat you, as friend or foe? But notice that this man does not answer Joshua's question by picking sides or by identifying himself according to a human category. What does he say? Look at Joshua chapter 5, verse 14. And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Notice the timing. Now. The timing is significant. The way that this man does not answer Joshua's question shows that this man is of a different order. He cannot be put into human categories. He cannot be likened to one who takes sides. Instead, he answers Joshua's question by revealing his identity as the commander of the army of Yahweh, the commander of the army of the Lord. And he offers this response, now I have come. And so God would have us to know that in the right time, this commander came. The timing is significant. Trusting God's timing in all things is a necessary part of walking with God. From the beginning of Joshua, in chapter one of Joshua, Joshua has been preparing for battle. He's being prepared for battle. And the Lord commands him, be strong, be very courageous. And for five chapters, Joshua must lead God's people solely on a confidence in God's word. Yet now, God gives Joshua something visible. And in these visible moments, just as at Jesus' baptism when the heavens were opened, just as on the mountain of transfiguration when Jesus is seen in glory speaking with Moses and Elijah, we see that the time is right. This theophany, this God revealing himself in a visible way, came at a needed moment that we should pay attention to. Who is God for? What side is God on? Here's the answer of scripture. God is for God. Don't ask this question. Is God on my side? God is not on your side. God is on God's side. The better question is, who is your commander? Who is your Lord? As we pass on the faith to generations to come, that message must be passed on. We don't pass on the faith by forming future generations to a certain side, a certain political belief, a certain economic class, a certain human category but we pass on faith by demonstrating through our obedience that Jesus is Lord, that God is God, and we are not. How does Joshua respond to this man's revelation? Look with me at the end of verse 14. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped, that's the word for bowed down, and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You see that obedience there. This man's identity remains a mystery. The response of Joshua to fall on his face and to bow down certainly leads us to sense that this man was God himself, Jesus even. And his presence certainly brought a confidence for the task ahead. And Joshua found himself in a holy place and with an assurance that while he is called to lead this people, there is another army fighting and winning. Yahweh's army, the Lord's army, led by their commander. This passage, Joshua 5, gives us wonderful ways to think about the gospel. As we think about circumcision, we understand that the work of circumcision on our heart is outwardly visible through baptism. Listen to what Colossians chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 says. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, that is, in Christ. As we think about Passover, we remember the Lord's Supper as Jesus gave new meaning to the bread and the cup, taking the bread and breaking it to signify his body broken for us, taking the cup to signify his blood poured out for us. Jesus gave the bread and cup new meaning because of his own death on the cross. Then after being buried, God rolled away the stone of the tomb on the third day and in doing so, rolling away from us the reproach of sin, doing for us what we could never do ourselves, For sin no longer has power over us because of the resurrected Christ. That is the power of the resurrection. What about the manna? Jesus is the bread of heaven and the bread of life. In him we will never hunger or thirst again. What Jesus does in saving us is permanent, eternal. And in the right time, we know that Jesus came first to die, But in the right time, Jesus is coming again. Are you ready for his return? What will you do with what you have heard today? That's one of the functions of preaching, is that it exhorts you. It moves you in some way, either to strengthen your faith or to call you to repentance and faith in Christ, How is God moving you? In Joshua, we understand that the people will not enter into God's promises their own way. In Jesus, we see God's way. Jesus is God's way, not just for salvation, but also for all of life, for all of the challenges that we face, for the promises of God that we will inherit in him. Jesus is our inheritance. In Jesus, we do not stand on holy ground, but we are made holy by his Holy Spirit indwelling us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And like the people in Joshua, we must prepare our hearts by faith, confessing Jesus as the only way and obeying him. Our salvation is not found by picking sides. Our salvation, our life, is found by following Jesus. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish His purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of His Word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.